Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. And today we have two special guests uh, with us. We have uh, Melanie Abrams and Larry Smith, who are the co-authors of The Joy of Cannabis, 75 Ways to Amplify Your Life with Science and Magic of Cannabis. Uh, for those of you that can't uh, see this, I'm holding up the book. And I got I to gotta tell you guys, first of all, thank you so much for sending me this copy and I did not have a chance to read it cover to cover. I just kind of peruse and, and browse it, but I intend to do that. I just have to say that this is one of the most aesthetically pleasing books that I've uh, seen, not just on cannabis in general. So I commend you for that. Uh, not only the, the cover, but the way the graphics, the way the book is laid out. Uh, also, I really like the 75 ways to amplify your life through the science and magic of cannabis. And I like that the word science is used because I'm a, sort of a sciencey uh, person. And uh, I really appreciate the journey that you sort of took the reader through from the early, you know, here's the history of cannabis to some of the sections. And I, I'll get into it a little bit in more detail. But before I do, I want to learn a little bit more about uh, each of you. So uh, let's let's maybe start with uh, Melanie if uh, you don't mind. Uh, where did you grow up? Yeah, um, I grew up in Los Angeles, particularly in the Valley, which you may know from uh, cold classics like Valley Girl. <laughs> I, well, I, was... live, I live in the Valley. Oh, you so do? Where? I live in Studio City. 
Okay, so I grew up in Woodland Hills. Both my my mom was born in Studio City. Where we have to do the requisite. Where did you go to high school? Well, I went to high school in Philly. So okay. I've been oh, I, I've so been reversed because that's his neighborhood. Yeah, right? yeah. I've been I've been in LA for about fourteen years. So I, as an adult, so I, I lived only in the Valley, Toluca Lake, Encino, and now in Studio City. And okay. our offices are in Burbank. Yeah. So yeah, I grew up in Los Angeles. Um, when you know, went to undergrad, went to grad school, traveled around a bit until I kind of landed in Oakland, which is where I am now. Got it. And uh, your parents? Uh, did you have like in terms of childhood? Do you have siblings? Your parents were together, divorced, or? Yeah, yeah, no. I you know pretty typical growing up in LA in the you know seventies and eighties. Like um, my parents were together, like very you know, uh, Jewish middle-class. I had the very typical Valley kind of upbringing, a younger brother who's still there. My parents are still there too. Um, parents are still together, uh, for better or for worse. Um, <laughs> right. And, I hear that. <laughs> right? So where, where did you go out to high school since because I was my daughter? Tapped. I, well, I, yeah. And, and it's always like the good fodder often comes from this because I went to, um, I went to public school for high school, but I went to private school for elementary and middle school. Um, so I, you know, usually regale people with the stories of the stars, children and babysitting Sybil Shepherd's twins. And I definitely got to have some of those interesting experiences. Yeah. It's always interesting in LA because my, my daughter is now graduating from high school uh, this year. So, uh, you know, we're, we're doing a college thing right now. And uh, we went to private school like even preschool, she went to Montessori and she did this uh, elementary school. And then she went to a performing uh, arts middle school for like seventh and eighth grade and then went back into private high school. But the people that you sort of cross and run into, and she used to be a junior camp counselor at an arts camp. And it's like Nicole Kidman's kids and and all these uh, people come in and, and they're, I wouldn't say they're regular, normal people like everybody else, but maybe a little bit of special uh, treatment is expected there. But it's uh, it's always interesting because it's you know it's LA, so right, typical. yeah. All right, so Larry, where did you grow up? I grew up outside of Philadelphia, uh, in South Jersey, <clears throat> small town, uh, about ten minutes from where my parents grew up. Uh, in another part of New Jersey. So their parents were friends. Uh, the joke is that my my dad pulled my mom's pigtails in first grade, which I guess is flirting back then. Their first date was the junior prom. And they have been married for uh, pushing 60 years, pushing 60 years. They're still in the house I more or less grew up in. And I know when when we were talking before on the phone, I saw you, I saw your uh your uh, area code. And I was like, wait a minute, that's, that's Philadelphia. So we immediately, of course, got into Philly sports, but you never lose if you're a sports fan, that, that background. Um, so you yeah, had two sisters. I'm the middle of, of uh, middle boy of two sisters. And, you know, another part of my life, which we may not talk about today is um, storytelling in six words called the six word memoir project. And my uh, second ever six word memoir I wrote, so it's telling a story of your life in six words is two sisters, never left seat up because I would have these girlfriends in high school and college and they'd be like, this is incredible. You don't leave the seat up. I'm like, I shared a bathroom with my sisters. Thus the six word memoir, two sisters never left seat up. 
I, you know, it's it's funny, but I, I never leave this seat up with no sisters. I'm the only child. So my, my mom would have <laughs> killed you. me. My mom would have killed me if I did that. So I, I learned that, like, uh, you know, with some guys I was uh, uh, rooming with. And I was like, what is this all about? It's a, it's became sort of a, 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 jo- a running joke uh, throughout, but something that I, I wasn't really used to growing up because probably I was, I was born in Lithuania in uh, uh, the old Soviet Union. So we had, you know, there's, there's different ways that the, the kids were raised uh, back then, I guess. But I, I mean, I, would, I was here since I was six years old, but still, uh, you know, that, that whole uh male female kind of dynamic on raising the seed and falling in the toilet we didn't have that in the house at all uh so getting back to the book uh i'm curious actually before we even get into the book i'm curious about the journey and, you, and larry you start you started talking about that that a little bit so background wise uh you went to school where, where'd you go to school i went to the university of pennsylvania so kind of near where i grew up and I, I mean, honestly, since fourth grade, all I've did, done is write. You know, the fourth grade newspaper, the middle school, high school newspaper, did the, did the uh, college newspaper. And I was a journalist for many years. And I just sort of loved that idea of poking around worlds, learning about it and reporting it back to people. You sort of get to be nosy, you know. And for me, um, my grandfather was a, a pharmacist in a little tiny town next to a series of tiny towns in New Jersey, much prettier than much prettier and full of gardens than people realize. And he was a pharmacist, kind of came from Russia, 1914, and eventually, you know, the American dream owned his own small business. And he stood behind a counter just sharing stories with his customers, knowing their stories. And that, I think, was really where I got interested in storytelling and then eventually journalism, just that connection with people. Because if you can, you know, report on the story, whether you're covering, you know, the Philadelphia Phillies or, you know, a fusion, you're just asking questions, you're listening, some things are harder than others, and you're just connecting with people if you're doing a good job. So that's what's always interested me. And, you know, we can cut to many years later, uh, cannabis is, is a, well, cannabis is is a, a topic I wrote about, I wrote about different, uh, a lot of different things in my journalism career, sports and tech and culture and, and drugs, but how different drugs affect the body, how they unlock things in you. And I did, you know, a fair amount of reporting on drugs uh, back in my early journalism career and then got away from that for a while. And, you know, Melanie and I can talk about our origin story of the joy of cannabis, but uh, increasingly an interesting world, as we know, the way it's changed in the last, I mean, 2000 years, but certainly 20. Um, Really interesting to me. And if it wasn't for a chance meeting with Melanie at a Christmas party three years ago, I probably wouldn't have written this book. Yeah. So, and and Melanie... What was your background? Uh, yeah, so I um, was a, you know, didn't grow up wanting to be a writer since fourth grade. I, you know, grew up in LA and totally bought into the whole show business thing. So totally thought I wanted to be an actress or something, you know, in the entertainment business. And then went to college and ended up falling into a creative writing class by accident. And like the, you know, described it like feeling like I got hit over the head with a baseball bat. Like there's nothing else I could do for the rest of my life. And pretty single-mindedly followed that, you know, writing fiction path until kind of we met. So, um, and then started, you know, writing more nonfiction. But this is really my first foray into nonfiction. So I, you know, wrote fiction, went to graduate school, wrote two novels. I teach at UC Berkeley. You know, I teach creative writing at Berkeley. 
Um, this has been like, you know, a major, uh, I don't know, the, the whatever, when you have your main path. Departure. Yeah, departure, but the subpath, um, a happy one, but definitely something super different than I've ever done before. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. And, and people talk about sort of uh, their 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 journey in life and sort of their flow state and what inspires them, what motivates them. You know, some people I feel, and I talk to a lot of people and they're like, when I was, uh, you know, six years old, I got a drum kit and I knew I wanted to be a drummer all my life. And I always did. And other people are like, I have no idea. I am in my thirties. I have no idea, but something happens that unveils or opens up that, that path in life the way you're like, that's what I've been searching. So it's 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 interesting your mutual dynamic. Like Larry knew, and you had to sort of zigzag through this and uncover that path for you. And I, I think it 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 shows in in the energy that that's exactly where you, where you you know you need to be. And obviously that's where you're flourishing best. Um, so you mentioned Larry about the uh, meeting Melanie at a Christmas party. How did how did that? Uh, well, I, I was in the Bay Area after college because, so, you know, grew up outside of Philadelphia and I was like, I wanted to go to school in California. I, I went to California once on a family trip and just the way that, you know, some professor, she took a class in college and changed her life. And I was like, I must go to California when I grow up. And they're like, right, but you're not going to college in California. I'm like, okay then. And so the minute I, I got out of college, I, I learned to be a waiter. I mean, I was I was a terrible bus boy in college and, and, and probably tell, yes, tell terrible waiter after college because I wanted to be a writer. And that's what you did in the nineties. You learned how to do something else. Probably still, right. If you want to be a, a writer. And um, I basically drove to San Francisco um, and I left, I was there for seven years. Then I left for 20 years and three years ago uh, decided to come back and um, knew that, Certainly, my interest in cannabis had only increased, and that might be a, a lane or a pivot or maybe another part of my life with journalism, six-word memoirs. And about a couple months after I got to uh, back to the Bay Area, I'm pretty sure I was the last person invited to this Christmas, this holiday party. Uh, I'd met this woman at a, another literary event, said, ah, and two weeks later, you, know, you should come to my party. And so there I am, um, didn't really know anyone at the party besides her or one other person, and I met Melanie, and should it be weird or unusual that at a party in the Bay Area in the holidays and people were drinking and this and that, and Melanie and I met Melanie, we're talking, a little group of us are talking, and she said, hey, does anyone want to go out onto the deck and get high? I mean, it doesn't matter that Melanie doesn't really drink, but that's the case. It does matter that most people don't want to put smoke in someone's house <laughs> indoors these days. Um, and I said, yeah, I do. And, you know, it's not that everyone else was like, whoa, but nobody else came with us. And we were already having a great conversation. But just as the literature tells us, the conversation we were having was enhanced. It was faster. It was more furious. It was even more delightful um, because of the, the, the sharing of the flower. And that conversation started almost three years ago, exactly from the time we're doing um, uh, th this call with you, uh, Len. And we just kept talking. And eventually that led us to, I think the way that people, if you're really interested in a topic um, and you find someone who is also interested in it and we have kind of different skill sets and you're just like, well, I'm going to dig a little deeper and report that back to people in a form of a great technology that still works really well called the book. And that's what we did. 
What do you want to add to that? Yeah, no, that's origin a really story. good uh, retelling of the origin story. No, I think it's it's great. I, I always tell people, like when I travel all over the world, when you smoke a joint with somebody or share some cannabis with somebody, there's a connection that you can't describe. Like I'm going to South Africa and now I have friends in South Africa that we consume some, you know, they're poisons together. And everywhere you go, it's that connection. I don't think you can replicate that connection with anything else. Uh, and, and, and the interest in, in the subject matter. So, all right. So you decided to write a book. I, I'm curious about your process. There is a lot of, there's a lot, a lot of references in the book. There's a lot of research. I've, I wrote a book too. And I did much less like digging in, in, in research and talking to other people because this was my journey. And the only thing I needed to do was just put some references to uh, any studies or anything else that I, that I have in my book. Besides that, it's just my, or my story uh, and, and some stories of others. But it, it was me. But you guys had to go out of yourselves and really dig deep not only in the science, but also, you know, talk to people from, and I don't know if you did, this is sort of a question, I guess, a long-winded question, talk to people like, or quote people like Snoop, for instance, or Steve D'Angelo, all the way to, you know, Dr. Ethan Russo and some of the other scientists that are in Israel, et cetera. So like, if you can kind of take me through your process, I'm super curious about that. I mean, I think like, you know, we did a lot collaboratively, but we also do definitely have like different skill sets. So I tend to be like, okay, I mean, as you know, describes the type A, you know, kind of person, I want to, you know, do all the research, gather all the information, think about this, you know, from a global point of view, and then, you know, get it all out there in ways that make sense and support our findings. Um, And so I, even though we both did research on the science piece of it, I tended to like go deeper into into the studies and stuff. And like, Larry's just so good at like kind of curating people, find, you know, reaching out to like lots of different people and seeing what the kind of arises. So especially a lot of the um, like the uh, um, a lot of the in the little essays that are involved in there. Um, that well, was, well, part of it yeah. was like a couple of things, which is like there are people who have been we've been we've been using uh, cannabis and I've done some reporting over the years. And and but there are people who have been living this world from Rick Doblin from Maps, who you know a real uh, a real legend in certainly psychedelics and also cannabis. Who uh, people have been fighting the good fight on equity inclusion, Asha Bandeli, um, Fab Five Freddy, um, people like Steve D'Angelo, who I'm sure your listeners is known as the father of legal cannabis. So number one. We couldn't do this book without talking to many of them. There are many more people we wish we talked to. Uh, we talked to a lot of people. Um, and everyone was so great. And the, and the thing about it, and, and you know this, Len, the world of cannabis is such a lovely one. Yes, there's competition and there's, there's, a, there's a lot of messes and there's laws and there's, there's some infighting. But in terms of the collaborative spirit, at least we've seen, um, hey, yeah, let's get on the phone. Let's do it. Everyone's like, how can I help? And we felt so grateful for that. But also we wanted to respect the legends of this world and, and, and make them feel part of this book. Number one, it makes it a better book. But number two, it just, just to honor the work they've done. So that was remarkable. And I'm just like, I'm going to start talking to everyone and see where the pieces fit. And we do have a very different process. Yeah. And then, I mean, and then it was pretty, the activities were pretty collaborative. <laughs> you know, we were brainstorming all the 
you know, activities that support the six different pillars of. Well, why don't you describe the pillars? Yeah, yeah, that's why I, I want to get into that because I think the book is written in such a unique, interesting way. Because you, yeah, go through the pillars so people can understand like how to how to they should read the book and how they should. They yeah, should yeah. So you know, when we were trying to figure out like how do we want to organize this book? What is the organizing principle behind it? Um, you know, we can talk about the things that cannabis does so well, put you in the moment, make you like lower inhibitions, um, you know, harness joy. Um, and so we were trying to, you know, looking at these kind of global concepts, but trying to figure out, well, how do they really break down? And so we decided to break them down into these six pillars, which are body, mind, connection, productivity, creativity, and joy. Um, and those are really like the six things that we saw that cannabis amplifies uh, and really makes even better. So we kind of organize it around these six pillars and each of the sections has like an intro with some more science-based stuff, like how it works in the body, how it works in the mind, how, why it works for connecting people. Um, and then after that moves into activities that you can do to amplify that particular pillar along with, you know, all kinds of we fun things field. thrown in there, like field notes, little things you didn't know before, or these guest essays or, you know, kind of playful charts um, so that's kind of how the books were organized. And, you know, for, in terms of the guest, the guest essays, for example, we reached out to Alia Volz, who's a writer who wrote a book called Home Baked, a memoir about her parents were like, had like, a, a, like an underground hot brownie delivery business in the 70s in San Francisco, where she lived then and, and she lives now. And we said, Alia, you know, do you want to write something about that, whether it's around cooking with cannabis or something? You know, we don't know. You're just an interesting writer. Um, you know, on many, in many ways, but certainly cannabis. And she said, you know what I really want to talk about is how I use cannabis to connect to older people, you know? Um, and just, and she just wrote this lovely essay, just connecting with elders and that connection piece works with almost anyone, but that's how she felt it was really useful to talk to grandparents and just other people who um, maybe just takes away, I don't know, some unknown wall between people, which, you know, cannabis does no matter what we're talking about. So, so that, and that felt under connection. Yeah, I, I definitely, and just going back to what you were saying about, you know, people in the cannabis industry, this industry is an amazing industry because you go to MJ BizCon and it's, it's like a reunion of people and it's gotten so big over the years, but you go there for that connection with people from everywhere that, that travel and, 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 uh, but there's a sort of a, I feel there's a, there's a new breed of cannabis, uh, consumer, investor, business person that does not respect or does not see that they're standing on the shoulders of the people that came before them. Some of them you mentioned now. So I don't, I didn't see that in the book, but I don't think that those people are, are open. So that I think we have this sort of, uh, um, there's two schools of the old school and sort of the new school. And even all the money that was flooding in, I think this year is sort of a, is a slap in the face for a lot of those investors that came in and said, hey, you know, I'm just going to dump some money in and uh, and see what happens. I've never even consumed the plant. I have no connection to plant, but I see green from this, the other green. And I think it's shifting a little bit. And, and the, the industry itself is going to flesh itself out no matter what, because that's it's going to become a mature industry. We're still at the infancy level of this industry. 
and uh, people like yourselves in the, in the in the in this book will help hopefully lead people that you know to me it's a great coffee table book that starts a conversation with with somebody comes into somebody's house oh you have this book it's not about hiding oh shit you know it's like uh, from the kids or anybody no it sits on your coffee table and this is a book that you can have a discussion about so I, I think this is a great way to doing it but like you have this new faction of people that are coming into this and. I guess my question is, is there room and space for everybody in this, in looking at this book, does it, does it actually, is it something that we should start giving those people that are, you know, CEOs of these companies that are coming in that have never, ever consumed the plan, have no connection to it, but maybe they can start seeing that the reason why they have the opportunity to have what they have is because there are people that came before them starting from and you guys, you know, talked about the ritual uh, practices of, of cannabis from you know thousands of years ago to the medicinal aspects of this plant that were therapeutic from you know before we started doing studies to the uh, the medical practices and the whole cannabis industry, which was based on you know AIDS and 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 cancer and and all those other things. Now, yes, we have CBD underwear and CBD pillows for everybody <laughs> to use, which are fine, whatever. That's how businesses involved. Of, but the recognition of where this industry came from, so we can still keep this thread going throughout this uh, the history of this plan and go- on going forward in businesses. I want to kind of get your thoughts and what what you think about that, and if anybody that you've spoken to in the book also you know uh, mentioned some of these things to you guys. I mean, I think we really, yeah, like you're saying, we really wanted this to be a book that was like for the cannabis curious to the cannabis connoisseur. Um, And it's interesting, some of those industry people who are getting into the business might actually be somewhere in the middle, despite the fact that they should be cannabis connoisseurs. So, you know, getting the book into their hands, I mean, there's nothing we would like more. And I think mm-hmm. also what you said earlier about, you know, having it on your coffee table table is, is a big one for me and the normalization of cannabis. I mean, like as a mom, you know, my kids are 12 and 14 now. And when I first had these little kids and there was, you know, this whole mommy wine, af- you know, afternoons, mommy juice, whatever. And from someone who doesn't drink, it was just so disappointing to me that there was all this stigma around cannabis. And I definitely, you know, took it as my own personal kind of um, mantle to like, you know, to, to, to prophetize about how cannabis should be normalized. And for lots and lots of reasons, including for all the reasons we know about why it's so much better for you than alcohol. Um, but also because if you're even from like more from the kid point of view, you're, if you start to keep this stuff, if it becomes secret, it becomes tantalizing, it becomes taboo, it becomes, you know, something that they want to find a way to get a hold of rather than just having it be normalized, just the same way that alcohol is. Um, so for me, that's like a particular uh, passion point. Well, well Lynn, I, I got to tell you a story about one of Melanie's kids. So this is the world I want to live in and I want the cannabis and the rest of the world to live in, which is that um, at, at uh, her Older, Leela? Yeah. At our older kids' uh, a classroom, they were doing, you know, one of those, like, we're talking about drugs and alcohol today. You know, good. It's a good, like, you know, like, thoughtful school. And they're, you know, the, the, the teacher's talking and, you know, uses the word marijuana, marijuana. And her daughter raises her hand and says, you know, actually, marijuana has racist roots. And so the preferred term is cannabis. And she's like, okay, well, thank you. And then she explained that, well, first of all, I don't know if she explained that in 1937, there was the Marijuana Tax Act, <laughs> which was discriminated against people of color. And then later, the uh, 
you know, marijuana was the evil, the evil, the Mexicans are ruining our world. And then Reefer Madness, which I forgot wasn't a documentary. We, we watched it as the part, part of the important research of, of our book. And actually, it's it's actually a scripted, you know, government sponsored movie, all these things. And then at the end of the of the thing, there was any, you know, put any other questions or thoughts in, in an anonymous box. And her, her daughter said, you keep using the word marijuana, it's cannabis, you know? <laughs> and the truth is, it's okay that everyone doesn't know that. I hope the people in the industry know that. These newer folks who are throwing money at, you know, v, you know, VC bros or whoever they are, you know. And, you know, hey, some of my friends are VC bros. But largely, you know, let's, uh, let's hope that um, they, they, they get educated. And, if you, and, if you, and look, if you don't know that, a lot of people don't know about the word, why marijuana is not used and, and cannabis is the preferred term. And the industry and for others. So, hey, it's in here. People don't know it's a 2,000-year-old plant. It's in the book. But they also may not understand that if you're looking to reconnect with your partner, maybe, you know, your sex life is a little stuck. You know what I mean? Who knows? Life is long and hard. Marriage is a beast. And that, like, you know, elk, oh, well, yeah, well, my, my husband or wife said that uh, I, I did a pot brownie in college and I, I got all uh, paranoid okay, things are different. We've come a long way, baby, you know? And so now we know exactly what you're getting and, and we, you know, you know, we don't, and, uh, and bud tenders are real smart. Don't go, we have this in the book. Don't go 5 p.m. on a Friday. Can you go at 2 p.m. on a Tuesday? They got all the time in the world to talk to you, right? We, you know, how do you navigate this fence? It's in there. And you can, you know, very possibly find something that works for, for you in 2023. And we suspect, through, through our own, you know, trials and tribulations that um, are tested things that you will read, that sex will be better with cannabis, that food tastes a little better with cannabis, that listen to that song again, that old Led Zeppelin song or, or that new Lucy Dega song. It's sad. The music gets slow. And we have an old essay by a musician about why that happens. And it, everything gets a little tastier. Yeah, I think, uh, I think if I remember correctly, there was a scene in Half-Baked where John Stewart uh, was telling you, have you ever seen the back of a what is twenty dollar bill or something like that, or one dollar, whatever it was? He goes, have you seen it on weed? And everything was yeah, on weed. So right. yeah, it makes everything better for sure. By the way, fun fact: a lot of people forgot that John Stewart isn't half baked. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Yeah, he's half baked. He's great in there, exactly. Uh, and I, I think I love that story about your daughter because. <laughs> That's exactly, you know, with my daughter, who's uh, just, she'll be 18 next week when, the, when this airs, but she's listened to me speak about this openly since she was a, a kid. So for her, she's not even connected to cannabis, like tried it and it's not for her and she doesn't really, but it's not, it's not anything that's, that's stigmatized around there. So normalizing it and removing the stigma that we were, you know, our generation was the, you know, your, your brain on, on drugs and, and uh, Nancy Reagan kind of stuff and all the things that you talked about, the news media still continues to use the word marijuana over and over and over. I see it all the time. And, you know, that needs to shift because there are tremendous, uh, you know, racial undertones and you guys point that out uh, really well, but also I think it's it's being able to talk about this as really a therapeutic agent. So all the things you're talking about and, you know, this this whole notion of recreational, we have, we're in California, so we have recreational cannabis. I never really connected to recreational anything. I'm an adult 
21 and over, you get to use this for whatever it is. But at the end of the day, you're still using a drug. You're using a substance that is a therapeutic substance. And with the intention that you put into this plan, how you want to use it uh, is up to the individual. Everybody has a personalized experience. I mean, that's I, I based my business on that. I wrote a, a book about that because people do sometimes have an adverse experience. But when I like the adverse experience itself is, and, and I have mentioned this before on my, on my show and uh, when I was interviewed, it's such a strange phenomenon to me because when you drink a bunch of tequila and you have an awful night and you wake up, you're like, ah, fucking night. Never, yeah. never doing this again. Oh, it's the worst. This fucking, you know, I, I drank way too much. I should have stopped myself. I should have mixed. You're blaming you. You took too much. Nobody ever says, ah, oh, man, that, that tequila, that is, that is the worst. That's a killer. It's, it's that tequila, that brand. Right. Or I don't You're like so it. right. Nobody talks about it. And we have this notion with cannabis. Oh, it's, it's the cat. No, it's you. So by by being able to understand, you know, first of all, your own genetics, your own epigenetics, the social environment that you're in, what the intention, to, you know, we talk about set and setting. You, you mentioned Rick in, in set and setting and everything. Yeah. Yeah, this is psychotropic as well. There are, you know, endogenous uh, neurochemicals that are pumped into your bloodstream that change uh, that. So you have to come up with the intention that you want. For some people, you may consume a cultivar that is uh, uh, that, that is a social cultivar that, that actually expresses something that you want to have that social conversation with somebody. For others, the same exact cultivar can do the opposite. It can actually trigger stress reactivity. And you know what? social anxiety and you can see genetic predispositions for that and when you start looking at the you know different cannabinoids and terpene profiles that creates the experience for individuals so i'm just saying that you know yes there are this is an amazing plan and it, it does all the things that you said but it is specific for those individuals right. and that, that set and setting do make a difference too yeah and and you know and and for sure and if you just well, a couple of things with everything we say, number one, simply not going to react well for everyone. And number two, as we know, the frontal lobe is fully developed at age 25. And so, you know, in a perfect world, no one would use any sort of drugs and alcohol until then. We know that's not going to happen, but it's important to, to do what you can to keep that frontal lobe growing till you're 25. And, you know, psychoactive drugs have been around for thousands of years. And, you know, of all of them, we believe cannabis is a pretty good one. So to your point, said nobody ever, uh, wow, that was a great hangover, right? That was great drunk sex. Did anyone ever say that? No. And yet, it's very hard to get a hangover on cannabis, right? You can stay up too late, not get enough sleep. And it's just it's just funny. There are two things that are almost like hand in hand, cannabis and alcohol. And, and I, I drink. A million really doesn't drink. I drink. I like drinking. I like fancy cocktails, all that. I like beer to ball game, all that stuff. But like one has he healing properties and really doesn't leave a hangover. And one can just destroy you for, you know, take a full day, if not longer. And again, I like them both in moderation and all that, but it's just amazing that this one, the cannabis remains, despite how many hundreds of millions of people are using it, interested, still remains more of a mystery than it should be and not as normalized as it should be. And that's part of all of our jobs, you know, to make that, make, make, make it normalized and more familiar and less exotic. Yeah, and I, I, it's a great, great analogy you brought with it. The, I never understood the alcohol comparison because you're absolutely right. I mean, we ingest alcohol 
uh, you know, our liver converts it to acetate, then our body's trying to get it out. But it, it you know, it does inhibit and all the, all all these different things. It, it sometimes makes it more fun at parties and all all that. It, it's fine, but to me, that it has nothing to do with the therapeutic properties of of cannabis, and we sort of put them in the same category. And even in California, I remember the the drug czar that was uh, in charge of uh, creating the policy for California. She came from drug and alcohol, and every single all the laws that were and the conditions around the use of cannabis and taxation, all that stuff, all everything that she was talking about had to do with the way the they deal with drug and with with alcohol distribution, you know, and never understood that this is a completely different. And even it's got so many different uh, properties in it. There's so many components of the plant uh, that you're you, you have to look at the entire thing altogether, not just you know it's just alcohol. How many? It's not just percentage of THC that that's what they were equating. Uh, it like eighty percent, uh, you know, eighty proof versus you know twenty five percent THC. It's an apples and oranges comparison, yeah, yeah. and they do that all the time. And also what you were saying, I thought that was such a great point about, you know, basically alcohol is a poison. Your liver is trying to metabolize it to get it out of your body. Unlike cannabis, which within you is a naturally occurring endocannabinoid system that was there, you know, even before you put cannabis into your body, you know, it was named after cannabis. That That's how closely it, it works with cannabis. Um, that's one of the total yeah, mind blowing. Yeah. That, I mean, it's like, for me, I think the biggest piece of like sometimes we'll get asked, like, what's the thing you learned that was most mind blowing to you? And it's absolutely the endocannabinoid system that a system occurs with you inside of you that reacts so perfectly with cannabis that it was named after cannabis. Only and only in the early nineties was this part of our brain discovered. That's wild. Yeah, it's uh, ninety two, I believe, and 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 it's it's interesting because we evolved evolutionary with this endocannabinoid system. So if you think about it, and almost everything in our bodies has these receptors, right? For based on our evolution, if we didn't need this, then our body through evolution gets rid of it. We no longer need that. But for right. thousands of thousands of, you know, maybe even millions of years, who the hell knows, know, yeah. right? Uh, our We still have the endocannabinoid system. We still have receptors for it. So our bodies are saying there is a need for this. And we, we definitely grew up with this plant. I don't, I don't think we did the same thing with uh, with alcohol, but who knows? <laughs> I, I I'm not sure if we have specific receptors. But yeah, that's what I was going to ask you guys. If if anything, uh, you may have already answered, but I'll ask it again. If anything in your research really surprised you, like maybe you came in with certain expectations or certain you know preconceived notions or anything like that, and then through the, your research, you said, oh man, this is really something that I learned that was surprising. It's definitely endocannabinoid system for me. When there was another one we talked about yesterday. Well, in a macro sense, I think we started out thinking we were going to write a, a book about joy and cannabis, kind of an evangelical, like, hey, this is a world we want to help un unlock for you, um, you know, for the kind of curious and, you know, and, and hopefully some some uh, some new things for the canosaurs, right? But at some point, I'm like, Melanie, we're kind of writing a wellness book, yeah. you know? And it seems obvious now. And of course, we knew many of the wellness benefits and only learned more and more. Um, and I feel like we're a little bit like the reader. We're curious and went and did the work, you know? So we're not so different than many of the readers, right? Yeah. Um, and so the idea that, like, 
really, and well, what do I use it for mostly? Sleep, music, food, sex, all that stuff, right? And like to make my life, to enhance my life and to make me feel better and sleep being a big one, you know? Um, so I think that was all a, kind of a macro surprise. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, the science definitely, so much of the science was like, you know, revelatory. But, um, you know, it's stuff like productivity, how cannabis can be used for productivity um, and has been being used and how, for example, it, you know, what happens in your brain on cannabis can be similar. The release of d- dopamine um, is similar to how like a uh, Ritalin works. And so one of the reasons why productivity and focus is increased is because you're stimulating the same system. So um, yeah, lots of the science I think was really, really interesting. And, and of course it doesn't like for me, like I, I absolutely, you know, a question we get asked often is how much did you write of this book? Did you write high? And the actual writing of it, not that much, you know, and it's because my, I know how my brain works for creativity, cannabis, fantastic. For word sentence construction and word building, not as strong. So, um, but that isn't everyone. So, and, and, and I can, and I definitely see how, you know, increased, fo- how cannabis does work for increased focus. Um, and, you know, it just depends kind of on your constitution. Yeah, you, that, you, the readers can guess what we wrote high. Yeah. The mind, the, the, <laughs> so there's a lot of important science in there. There's a lot of interviews yeah. by legends of the of the of the field. But then there's like the Munchie Madness chart, like yeah. what you, what what because you do you, it does uh, spur on uh, hunger. Yeah. yeah. Um. In, in many cases, so like the Munchie Madness, like you know, like like March Madness bracket that was done a little high. Uh, what movie should I watch high? It's, I mean, we tweaked it a little bit, you know, not high, but like, you know, we just brainstormed and, and so we had, we, you know, for sure. And you know what, it was, it was, um, you know, it was, it was, it was uh, a lot of work and a lot of research, but it's a lot of fun to write. I mean, when you're writing on something you love and learning more along the way, what a blast, what a, what a gift that is. Yeah. And I can sense your passion throughout the, the whole thing. So it totally makes sense. And, and uh, there's a couple of things that you said, first of all, I, I agree with you. Uh, to me, cannabis stimulates creativity a lot. Like the ideas are amazing. But then if I take that idea and I'm under the influence of cannabis, I'm still high and I'm writing it and I look at the next day, yeah, sentence structure, right. punctuation is off. Alone. The idea yeah. is there. So you got to write mm-hmm. down the idea in shorthand. So I completely agree with you. And the other thing that I think you guys are also helping helping to remove the stigma. I said this a couple of times. I'm going to continue saying this because I, I, I love that fact of coffee table book here uh, with fun and science. And the idea is to remove the stigma, but it's the, the stigma of the old stoner stigma, right? Right. Oh, it's the, you know, the stoners in there doing bong rips as we see in movies all the time. And then they're kind of lazy and they don't want to do anything. Man, I work with so many athletes who consume cannabis and you, you talk about this too, and then go work out as a pre-workout, uh, you know, kind of regimen as well. So it is an individual thing and it is specific for everybody and, and it's different the way it affects everybody. And like, we're different, the different, there's so many different cultivars and combinations of them. So trying to match what works for the individual while avoiding those potholes in the road, you know, that's that's uh, the next iteration of this journey to get, get more, more precise. Um, I wanted to ask you guys about the activities in, uh, how did you come up with the actual activities that you have in the, in the book? Well, I mean, we started, you know, right with us. Well, what are we, what things do we like 
to do high individually or together kind of thing, right? And so it's like, what were some of those first things? I mean, God, it's such a good question. I don't even, would be interesting to go back and see like what were the first things that we did. I think also some of it early on, we did a lot of like crowdsourcing and then that would also, we'd find out what people like and that would spark our own ideas about what um, would be fun to do high. And I think when we finally found out the, figured out that we were going to kind of organize it by these pillars, we went in search of finding things that would kind of would fit into those particular pillars. Um but well, yeah. let's give some specific example. So one thing that like um, absolutely um, uh, doing yoga high and for me only a little high. Right. I'm a big microdose. So like she's like, you know, I weigh like twice as much as Melanie, but she's like two point five milligrams. That's not going to do anything for me. Right. She can she can out smoke all of us or out edible all of us. But um, but like just that little background buzz. Right. Like I, I mean, I'm in literally yoga flow. Right. Um, one thing that I had no idea how much I would like doing until so many people said, oh, I love to clean high. I'm like, right, yeah. clean high. Then I was like, get me in on that, right? So it was very easy to do that. So, and it was like, right, you're just, you're in the zone, you're focused, you're a little, uh, sometimes a little uh, manic, which is a great thing to do when you're cleaning. What else should you be? So that's something. Yeah. What else? Yeah. I mean, and I, you know, we really dug into the cooking piece of it too. It's definitely not a cookbook, but we, we were like, people want to do this, you know, we, they want to use cannabis in their cooking. So just kind of, we went to the experts and, you know, kind of created the little primer for anyone who wants to. But making the butter and, and by the way, wow, every chef we approached, you know, we all called, we didn't know any of the chefs, you know, and they were just like, this is the book we need. So grateful to be part of it. They were just so lovely, you know, and then they wrote, there's like eight different essays by chefs all in a different part of cannabis, some more advanced, some very cannabis cooking 101. And, and, you know, what we hope is whether it's about the body or the cooking or, you know, you will find something, there's something for everyone in this and then probably dig deeper, you know? Yeah. And then it was also fun to do those goofy ones. Like, you know, one of my personal favorites, the snow bong, like, you know, who doesn't want to do a snow, make a snow bong. You so know? Just, just old, yeah. Just, just explain it a little more. Carefully. What's a snow bong? Yeah. That you can build a snow bong. You can build a bong out of snow. And I mean, it only lasts you, you know, probably one and a half. Or out of the snowman. Until it melts. <laughs> but, but like, what a fun thing to do. <laughs> I, I, you brought me back with some memories of, I may, I'm going to probably say it wrong, but like the Coke can one. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah. Yeah. oh, I mean, what kid, you know, my generation didn't have anything to smoke out of and the did that or, or the toilet paper roll kind of thing. You know, all those things were amazing because we had to be inventive back or, or the apple, you know, all these different things that uh, we, you know, kids nowadays, they don't have to worry about. It was, it's funny, a couple of years ago, I was at a, it's like, even, even like, like, you know, as adults, I was at a friend's parents and, and we, we, nobody, we wanted to get high and somebody had flour, but nobody had a device. So like, we, we literally got the apple and yet snuck away because he was afraid of his conservative parents. They probably would have been fine. Right. So we're not really practicing what we preach, but like, and we snuck away. Like we were like, like, you know, like not high school because our brains weren't developed, but, but let's just say it was high school. We snuck away and got, got, high, got high with an apple bong, you know, it's, and it's fun. It's arts and crafts really. It is. I love that. Um, Melanie, I just, a thought just came up to me. So you, you, uh, you teach at Berkeley. Would, mm. would there be an opportunity to use 
maybe this book or maybe an extension of this book to start coming up with a class that we can actually teach people, uh, kids that are coming up or, or people in general, uh, have a real cannabis class. Like, I, the reason why I asked this, so I've, I've taught several classes in different universities as a, as a guest lecturer, uh, but, and I know there's programs now, you can get a degree in certain universities as well, but man, what a great place for that at Berkeley. Yeah, totally. Uh, and I mean, it's a little out of my wheelhouse because I'm so firmly within like the creative writing program. Um, but that, 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 that kind of exploration of drugs is happening at Cal. I mean, Michael Pollan is, you know, at Cal. And so he, you know, is yeah. the guy that would be the one to kind of like steamroll all this and does teach every now and then and lecture on this kind of stuff as well. Um, it would be amazing. It would be amazing to do something like that. But, like, but you know, it's actually an appropriate uh, alcohol analogy, which is that the way there are so many schools to learn about sommeliers and spirits and, right. and like, because this is something people are interested in and there's jobs and there's hobbies and there's other things. So like, yeah, the idea that thousands of, of can of schools will bloom and in lots of different lanes, whether it's, you know, the industry part or the, the recreational part or the joy part. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that there's so many jobs and you guys talk about there, this industry is flourishing and it's going to, it's just going to continue to grow and escalate because it's a global industry. Now you go, all these countries, you know, Thailand just legalized. You have all these countries that are legalizing and they're going to need to be trained. And I think universities, uh, you know, universities are going to start having to look at this as a real program that people can graduate, get a degree in and go in. It could be the cultivation. I mean, we have training programs and there's a lot of different, but not like real accredited universities, not a lot of them, very few of them. So I'm just, just, just a thought. And you know, um, and I think just as a recreational user, when you understand the story, the history, the background, like the, the, the long line from thousands of years ago to you with your friend before a Wilco show, you know what I mean? Like just to know that history, whether you know it a little bit through osmosis or a student of it, it just makes the whole thing more meaningful, you know? Um, I, it's like when you, you, I have my grandfather's pocket watch, it tells the same time, but it's more meaningful because there's a longer story there. And I think we're both thousands of years and maybe in a golden age of cannabis, you know, maybe this just, we're just in the age of cannabis, but like, we're still in many ways at the beginning in terms of a really mainstream world that people know about, want to know about, and, you know, more messengers, like all of us, you know, are hoping to be part of the telling that story. So a quick question on the, the telling the story and everything else. Uh, as journalists and as, uh, you know, you have uh, academia uh, background as well. Th did you face any obstacles of, you know, trying to get the book published and getting out there because it's cannabis and there's still stigma associated with that. So it, it was that something that was, uh, yeah, people not so to? much. I mean, we, you know, people have been super receptive and a lot of like, Oh my God, thank God for this book. I can't wait to give it to my insert parent, cousin, friend, whatever. A lot of parents, by yeah. the way. a lot of people. Cause Oh, I yeah. mean, yeah. Well, we can talk about parents, yeah. but, but go ahead. But, um, I think that the thing that we've run up again a little bit against, but not too badly, but is what you were talking about before is, um, this idea of this stoner slacker, right. And a little bit, even with the media, like, do we want, you know, there's another story to tell with cannabis. The story is not the stoner slacker. Um, we're, you know, 
the messengers here are a Berkeley professor and a professional journalist, you know, and who are bringing this message to you. So I think a little bit we we ran up against that, but for the most part, people have been super receptive. I think I, um, as much of an advocate and like a, um, as much as I say I want to destigmatize cannabis, I still feel a little bit in the classroom like I walk that line, you know, because they as a Per, I come to them teaching them writing as a professional writer. Like I am a writer. I publish, I publish two novels. I publish, you know, all of this stuff. So you can trust me when I'm telling you how to do this thing. But I always like shy, I'm a little bit shy about saying, well, and also I also wrote a book called The Joy of Cannabis. I'm not secretive about it, but I'm not laying it out like I do with, you know, the novels, which is like my own thing to reckon with. Well, well, well my, go ahead, Lynn. Well, why do you, why do you think? I think it's just because there still is that a little bit of that stigma, you know, even though I work at, you know, Berkeley, like the most liberal university in the country in California, where everything is legal. I still, you know, there is stigma associated. And I I, I worry a little bit about that. Yeah. And and I know, I know what you mean. Uh, uh, Sorry, Larry, just, just uh, continue uh, my train of thought. I remember when I had, I, I had to sort of go all in on LinkedIn I had to change my profile yeah. to remove, yes, there was PricewaterhouseCoopers and there was this and there was that. But now I'm the CEO of Endocana Health and my back, it's cannabis because I believed at that time, whether it's right or wrong, I'm all in. That means it's like, uh, this is going to be a horrible analogy and people who are younger are going to be like, you're an old far, you don't know what you're talking about. It's people get like face tattoos. You're, yeah. you're all in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like uh, you may not, and I don't know, this could change in years, but most likely, and I, uh, most likely if you have face tattoos and you're going to go to an interview or Price Waterhouse Coopers, PwC may not be the a good look for some, the hiring manager there. So if you're doing that, you're all in. And I kind of felt uh, that way when I changed my LinkedIn profile, it's the same kind of thing. I'm like, uh, but it's your passion. You're connected to it. So I would say, wave the flag yeah Be comfortable yeah. waving the flag <laughs> yeah totally um all right so i'll I have, tell you a funny inside yeah. baseball oh, yeah, industry publishing story which is you said oh did you get to help so uh oh uh, we are you know our publishers sort books they're great what i kind of love about them is that like you know they're not like big users of it they just like thought it was a good book there was a great market they were just good business people like this is a great book and they they made a beautiful book you know but um but the the experience of our agent going out you know she knows all the publishers sending it out like there were a lot of the first person she sent it to at, at wherever it was whatever house it was publishing house they all oh, right that sounds great and they bring it upstairs to the to the to the, the higher up and they say things like oh well they it's not legal in every state. Well, like it's being used in every state. Oh, uh, my uh, boss said this book sounds great, but we're just too square for this book. Like, are you or, kidding me? Or even um, also, oh, well, we already have a cannabis book. <laughs> How many books do you have about vodka coming out next year? Or red wine, right? Yeah, shut. Like that, that. So that's like okay, right? So like, but and but but we had some interest from a from a bunch of publishers and you know we we I think we went with the right ones. That was just kind of entertaining. Like in 10 years or five years or two years, they can look back and be like, wow, uh how did I think cannabis was here when in fact this is where it did. Yeah, I I I I agree with you because when I was uh so a publisher approached me to actually publish my book before it was even written uh, and I was I was writing it 
And then they went around and the two different distributors and all that stuff. And I had the same feedback like, oh, we're not, we may not be ready for a cannabis book or we have a cannabis book. Well, well, what do you have on cannabis? It's nothing to do with the science. It's completely different. They just put everything in in one category. So I I kind of felt the same way, but I think, uh, you know, you, you guys are doing a great job with not only being out there and promoting it, but doing the book signings, all that stuff, all the stuff that I, I, uh, I was promised, but my, my, uh, the, Mine was around the pandemic, so none of that happened. Yeah, that's uh, the worst. <laughs> yeah, I, I can do virtual a, book signings. I had a book come out during the pandemic too, a novel. So I'm, I'm with you. I hear it was it was a bad time for us all. Well, uh, I have uh, a few questions I ask all my guests, and I'll let you talk about uh, you know where, where you're doing the book signings. I think uh, uh, I'm going to try to get there in person because I think you're uh, you're in the in the Southern California area coming up. Yeah. But uh, let me let me ask you a few of the questions that, are, that may be a little bit difficult. So just get ready and put your thinking cap. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So uh, whoever wants to go first, up to you. Uh, please describe your first experience with cannabis. Oh, I'll do mine. Um, so uh, total quintessential, exactly what you don't want your children to be doing. But um, the back of a bowling alley, an older cousin, a Coke can and some shake bought in a park. <laughs> and I, I, I mean, I may have gotten high. But, you know, I think I definitely didn't know what I was doing and didn't know how to inhale. So uh, that, you know, too young and, and quintessential. Uh, how old are, I, around? God, uh, 15. Yeah. yeah. High school, uh, there was a, my, my town, like, used to be all farm and now it's some farm. Uh, end of some farm road, which we nicknamed Rasta Rose because it was where people went to get high. Uh, you know, the the one year older kid, the great above, who was like, quote unquote, the bad influence and probably um, Echo and the Bunnymen playing in the car. Nice. Uh, before I go to my next question, I just I thought maybe that's something I need to address because you guys brought it up. Maybe our audience doesn't know about uh, Melanie's uh, can take a lot more than than uh, than you, Larry, in terms of cannabis and how yep. much THC. So. For years and years, we had this uh, Israeli book called the Green Book, right? And it always told us that consume milligram per kilogram of weight. Mm-hmm. And we now know that that is not the case at all. You just brought up a great example. You know, you weigh more. So yes. what's the thing? Uh, so maybe this is sort of a plug for what we do too. But metabolic function, how we metabolize, has a lot to do with how we consume cannabis, because it, especially in an edible, your liver converts, uh, you know, T, delta nine THC to eleven oxyhydroxide. But if we're a poor metabolizer, then your onset will be slower, and it can be a lot more powerful than depending. You can take exactly the same amount. So I think just people should understand that how they consume if they're going first pass is different than, than smoking and sublingual delivery, then method of yeah. consumption is really important. And then metabolic function, how you metabolize and then what you put in your body, what you ate and all that other stuff, all those things matter as well. Yeah. And I think coming back, that was the point I was going to make earlier. The other thing that I learned that was mind blowing to me was that THC 
is converted to a different molecule, whether you ignite it or whether you ingest it. And I, I, I mean, I'll take an edible and a pinch, but I am definitely a flower kind of girl. And um, I just don't like the way it makes me feel. And it makes uh, sense because it's a different molecule. Yeah, uh, Delta-9 uh, THC, you have full receptor binding to your CB1 receptor, right? So there's three prongs in the molecule. And I, I know we're going to get science and people are like, <laughs> oh, man, or I'm, I'm ready to shut this off. But there's three prongs, right? So it's a fit of three prongs. Delta-8, actually, which is that isomer converted one, only has two prongs. So there's one of the receptors like floating on top of the receptor. We have no idea what the ramifications of that is. That's not full receptor binding. Uh, personally, I would avoid something that's a, an isomer. But, you know, it's up to the individual what they want to do. But you're absolutely right. When we ingested the liver, and liver converts everything. When we everything goes to first pass, liver converts everything. But, you know, that that is a completely different molecular structure, the 11-oxyhydroxide delta-9-THC, than it is when you decarboxylate it, drop the acid molecule, and have that receptor binding. So glad you brought that up. And then how we metabolize. So method of consumption, how we metabolize and all that stuff and, and mindset that all yeah. uh, plays a role in, in your experience. So yeah, absolutely 100% on point with that. All right, music. Uh, one of my favorite subjects, as you guys can see. Us too. Me. I'm a huge, I know. So we're going to we're gonna ask some music questions. Uh, once again, you guys pick who wants to go first. But what was the uh, very first concert that you attended, if you remember? I'll go first because mine's so good. Um, <laughs> Paul McCartney, my first love. Was my Wait, first concert. Paul McCartney was your very first concert? Yeah. That's super cool. Isn't that amazing? Um, yeah, 19, I don't, God, it was 90, 90. Um, you know, he went on tour. I, I was a huge Beatles fan. My first boyfriend was, a you know, the Beatlemania guy. I had every lyric typed up in a binder. And I, by osmosis, became a huge Beatles fan. And then I got to, you know, have that first experience at, at Paul McCartney. Probably not high. But uh, where, where, where was that? In LA at the forum. Yeah. I just saw him last. We did too. It was last, last spring. Yeah. You yeah. saw him at the bowl, right? Where did he play? No. It's Dodger, yeah. Dodger stadium. Was it? Okay. I was think it? So. Yeah. Yeah. You probably saw him two days after or before we did. So that, yeah. well, how great was that? Well, you I have like. You got to see him every single time, by the way, uh, to me, like Ringo, uh, every single time you got to see, because they're Beatles, right? Like, Absolutely. There's nobody. Yeah. There's nobody bigger. I don't think anybody will argue the fact that there is no bigger uh, music. I don't know, celebrity, whatever you want to say, musician than, than Paul McCartney. Like, there is nobody alive that's bigger, and that's. Uh, and who knows how long? Hopefully, he lives for a very long time. But uh, those those people, you have to see. Well, you know, well, so. I don't know if all your listeners agree with us. Maybe the three of us agree. So the way that, like, my absolute favorite ice cream. Um, which is Jenny's out of Ohio. The second best ice cream is really good, but the distance is big. Whoever is second best in your life, if your Beatles are your number one, it's, they're great. Number two is great. Three, but the distance between the Beatles and everybody else, for at least for Melanie and I, and I think you land, is quite large. It's just, it's not everybody agrees with that, but many people do. Well, I, I'll never forget when Ozzy Osbourne came on the Howard Stern show and he could not believe he was fanboying over Paul McCartney and actually like, you know, doing a <laughs> yeah. not worthy kind of thing. So if you think about Black Sabbath and Ozzy, how they connect to people, think about what Ozzy was connecting to at the time with Paul. So wow. yeah. that's yeah. Uh, that's really good. All right. Uh, 
So you're okay. Right. So, so yeah. I have answered like, what's my first concert before? Just around, you know, friends, campfires. But there has never been a better time to to tell anyone who's asking that question in this moment, which is this. My first concert was my sister's 16th birthday. I was 13. It was Fleetwood Mac was the headliner, and the opener was Steve Miller, which at the time interested me more than uh, Fleetwood Mac at the age of 13. And at some point during that concert, I said to my my parents. Hey, why are people passing around a cigarette on a tiny scissors? And my parents, who were like, you know, were just, they just laughed and they explained to me what it was. So that was probably the first time I smelled or saw cannabis. And that was my first concert. Um, and little did I know that I would be like, you know, many years later doing edibles at a Paul McCartney concert. I love that. Yeah, it's very similar to my, mine was Pink Floyd at uh, JFK Stadium in, in Philly. Like, I know JFK, um, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Which is no longer there, but oh, I went. tore that down. I, I went with my dad and his brother and my two, two of my friends. There was three of us. And the same thing. It was a joint passed around. And that was the first concert I ever went with my dad and the last concert. It never went uh, back again. So that wow, was but Pink Floyd, strong first concert. It was great. Yeah, not not as good as Paul McCartney, but we'll we'll take, <laughs> uh, we'll take second. Um, what what was the last concert you guys went to? What was our last concert? I don't know if we went to concerts together. My last concert, I think, was Lucy Davis with my. So I have a my six my fourteen year old is a huge music fan, plays guitar, blah blah blah, you know, and has excellent taste in music. And so far, I am her um, date of choice to concerts so i get to experience like you know all this amazing music that i might not have as much access to if i didn't have a 14 year old uh i think my last concert was lucinda williams okay yeah i love lucinda williams um is there anything either of you are listening to these days that's uh, interesting that you may want to recommend i know it's such a good question <laughs> And we could it, so the music questions are so hard because yeah. it varies and it's harder. Like I have people, uh, let me check my Spotify really quick and see what yeah. I'm listening to. Yeah. But, uh, you know, some people are listening to like just older music and they don't listen to anything new. So, you know, I, I feel like one of the things I love about Spotify is when you create a, a radio station based on a band. So like the fruit bats came into my life, which are like, you know, Wilco adjacent, that kind of thing. Uh, I've kind of had a re re fallen back in love with the flaming lifters. I never fell out of love with, but just like they're touring and, and, you know, that sort of, and also like, you know, just, I mean, all music sounds pretty great high usually, but like there's something about like that sort of psychedelic thing that flaming lips do. That's so great. Um, who else? Funny because my 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 eleven uh, year old kind of shares my Spotify playlist. We're gonna have to separate that. So my 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 rap year was like, <laughs> it's so into Eminem. I'm like, all right, Eminem. You know, it was such a funny. It was like all dot rock and psychedelic stuff, and like Eminem and and like you know Little Nas X and everything. It was great though. Yeah, and I also, I mean, I'm like a, a serious music appreciator, but I um, you know, I was a top three percent of Taylor Swift fans on Spotify rap this year as well. So I'm not above. Uh, uh, you know, my, my Taylor fandom as well. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting when you get that end of the year kind of uh, here's uh, what you listen to most, your top five songs, top five artists. Yeah. I was, uh, I was a little surprised about mine. I didn't re realize it. So. Yeah. Uh, okay. What has cannabis meant in your life? 
<laughs> um, I mean, wow. I, I mean, I have uh, made some of the most important, uh, uh, met some of the most important people in my life, such as Melanie, I, not because of cannabis, but it certainly didn't hurt. Um, you know, um, in my family, like, um, I am kind of an outlier in terms of like, uh, the things I explore, whether it's music or drugs, um, and just, you know, I don't feel I'm so unmainstream, but they think I'm a nut. Right. And, but, uh, you know, with cannabis, um, my folks were not shocked. I was writing this book because I've written about MDMA and cannabis and all sorts of different things over the years. Um, they know I use it, but the fact that my parents who probably, who they told me, they think they got high once in the seventies. Right. Um, I now bring back, um, I, I now, well, I now help expedite, um, Cannabis for my dad for nausea with some chemo treatment. And he's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, whatever, whatever is going to help me. I'm in Larry. He's not like, well, I don't know. He's, he's not a guy who likes to feel out of control at all. And, and I told my mom how it's really helped me and my little sister for sleep. And, um, and we have a lot of the same DNA. So I bring, I, I help her with cannabis for sleep. So that's really meaningful that this, and they're very interested in the book. They would, cause I wrote it, I co-wrote it. But so, so the fact that it's become, you know, I've, I've kind of, you know, my sister didn't really understand the world that well. She, she had certainly used it over the years, but now, you know, she understands what's in it for her, what helps for wellness. So that's been good. It's been a little bit of a family connection, but mostly just the, the personal thing, those, the great conversations, you know, Mel, starting with Melanie and others and, and the connections and just, yeah, it's like, it's just different. And, you know, it's funny because in COVID, you just don't pick up someone's drink and drink it the way you might even among a friendly table. But even like, you know, like uh, maybe not the heart of COVID, the height of COVID, but like people will still pass you a joint. And it's just not weird. You know what I mean? There's that. And there might be a stranger or someone just met at a party or even maybe at a concert. And there's that instant kind of intimate connection. And that's really pretty special and unusual in the world we live in. I think for me, I mean, it definitely as someone, you know, in academia who spent a lot of time in their head and analyzing and writing and writing heady novels and that kind of thing. I mean, this ability to like be in the moment is been, you know, phenomenal for me in all kinds of ways from being in the moment, like if you're, whether you're having sex or whether you're listening to music or whether just giving you a little space from the thought and the emotion, you know, if we're talking about it from a wellness point of view, not reacting so quickly. So just that this the, the ability to be present i think is its greatest gift for me um yeah i love that just a quick story uh, i don't want to hijack uh what you were uh, talking about larry but you reminded me so my parents uh you know thought that cannabis was the same as heroin they had no uh, mm-hmm. distinction between that it's a drug is a drug is a drug uh and then uh, my parents actually kicked me out called the cops on me when i was a, a kid uh mm-hmm. And uh, my dad, when I was going back to Philly for Thanksgiving, uh, he had knee surgeries, a few of them, knee replacement, all this stuff. And he's like, uh, my knee hurts. Is there anything you can bring me? <laughs> hey. Really? Really? All right, fine. And then uh, he, he goes to walk around the, the neighborhood, still trying to keep uh, in shape. And he comes up and he's like, hey, I think this stuff really works. <laughs> really? He goes, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't move my knee uh, like it, it, I could just move it to here uh, halfway and I can't even bend it all the way. I said, dad, would you be willing to record a testimonial? Would yeah. you be willing to do that? Yeah. And he said, he did. And he sent me That's a testimonial amazing. of him sitting at a computer and saying, I had knee surgeries and blah, blah, blah. I mean, and I took this and 
Now I can move my knee. I was like, that's so kicked out of the house to testimonial, <laughs> which is part of your work. But think about this. How do we change the world? It's it's oh, uh, I, uh, I I don't like gay people. Well, suddenly your neighbors get you. Oh, oh, they're 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 fine. They're like me. Oh, I don't this you change the world because it becomes close and intimate. So you're, you know, one person at a time, you know, you can see TEDx talks and, and symposiums, but the truth is when suddenly your son brings you something and it's helpful, suddenly you're like, oh, uh, we're gonna, just gonna, mommies are gonna have, uh, are gonna get high instead of drinking a bunch of Chardonnay. It normalized, it becomes uh, one person at a time, it becomes the world of cannabis we want to live in, where it's just not a big deal. It's just another tool in the toolbox that can do a lot of great things for people, you know? Yeah, and and, and your book and removing the, the stigma and talking about it more and more it helps those stories. So, Melanie, like, talk talk about it. Talk about the experience. Yeah. Feel, uh, feel comfortable with all that stuff because the the you don't know who you're going to touch with that conversation that can go back to their parents and say, hey – you know, I heard Melanie speaking about that. By the way, here's a book I'm going to give you, uh, you know, The Joy of Cannabis, and I'll help you find the products and you're going to see how, you know, how well they work for people. Okay, last question and I'll let you guys plug it. Uh, please describe what your room looked like growing up. Oh, it's so great. Um, I totally had like the pink canopy bed and all the baby dolls and the stuffed animals. And I was a big lover of stuffed seals. So I had my stuffed seal collection um, right below the strawberry shortcake dolls. Like basically every 80s little girl's, you know, dream room was kind of what I had. (laughs) Uh, Jersey Gen X kid room. You know, well, both Gen X then, I was, you know, 11, 9, 7, whatever, 15. Posters, sports, uh, from ACDC to Queen to to The Cure. Ticket stubs, I still have boxes of them. Um, you know, photos, print photos, corkboard. Everything was up, everything was everywhere. Boxes of baseball cards, just stuff. Just stuff for like a, a silly boy from South Jersey. <laughs> Sounds like my room for sure. <laughs> I feel it. <laughs> Same thing. Uh, guys, thank you so much for joining me. Where can people find out more, uh, contact you? Where can people come see you? Where can people buy uh, The Joy of Cannabis? Uh, I'm well, the good news is again. you can buy it in every state because Barnes & Noble has put it in every one of their bookstores, which they don't always do for all books, especially books where it's not legal in every state. But all the usual places online, our website is joyofcannabis.org, just the joy of cannabis or joyofcannabis.org goes. And we have a bunch of uh, tour dates on the West Coast in January. Yeah, we're going to be in the Bay Area the week of January 10th. Um, and then we're coming to LA. We'll be in LA on the 20th. No, no, LA is, uh, oh. we'll be in LA on, uh, January 14th, 14th. Okay. at the Barnes and Noble at the Grove and then back to Bay area for a couple more bookstore. Yeah. Events. And then Colorado on the 24th and 25th, Denver and Boulder. Um, and then we'll be going back East to do some stuff in the spring when it melts a little bit. Um, but all of the event info is available on our website. Um, joycannabis.org and of course the normal social media channels particularly instagram joy of cannabis yeah and you know any bookstore support your local bookstore if it's not there ask for it that always helps often just hey are you carrying this book that does one person does 10 a couple people asking it at one bookstore can really make a difference 
Thank you both so much for joining me. I really, really appreciate your time. Uh, great book. Best of luck with everything. And I think uh, by communicating to the world in the way that you are doing this, uh, hopefully we'll uh, eliminate more of the stigma and have you know our kids' generation be like, cannabis, yeah, it's nothing. It's normal. Yeah. Thanks for a great conversation, Lynn. It's been a real pleasure. Yes. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi, and I'm the founder and host of Canachix Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.